0: Any securities or investment products discussed on Talkie Money are not insured by the FDIC, are not a deposit or other obligation of or guaranteed by any bank, and are subject to investment risks, including possible loss of principal amount invested. Good morning and welcome to Talkie Money. This is Certified Financial Planner Professional Mike Miller. We're glad you're with us today. If you happen to be a first-time listener to Talkie Money, Uh, Sit back, relax. We're not here to sell you anything. We're here to inform, educate, to try to make you a better uh, financial person, financial planner of your own and give you some of those ideas that you need to implement or maybe keep you from doing something that you shouldn't be doing. We like to do both of those things. And part of that, we're talking today uh, a little bit about some IRA rules that look like they're about to change. We want to finish talking about those. So I I spoke on this several weeks ago, and then we I didn't finish it, and then got waylaid with a couple of the topics that were already scheduled, uh, some guests that were already scheduled. So we're back to talking about some of the things that are coming down the pike for uh, from Congress, potentially. It's, as most of you see in the news, some of this is having a hard time getting passed, which I'm so grateful for. Uh, that there's at least um, some some people in Congress that are aware of the the danger. I, I keep thinking about this three point whatever three point two trillion dollar uh, bill that that Biden started with. I can't help but think he started. He he was negotiating. He didn't really. He knew he wouldn't get three point two in. Uh, so he went high and hoping that he'd get at least two because two trillion is still that's a, that's a pass of the money, as they say down here. I mean, you think about that. And I'm going to share with you a little bit later how much money is actually in IRAs and 401ks and compare that to what they're trying to spend money on when they tell us that they can just tax the, the wealthy people more to help pay for that. I heard Obama on a um, former President Obama on an interview just a few weeks ago. That, uh, oh, yeah, and the, and the rich people just have to pay a little bit more. Just have to pay a little bit more. Well, it's not quite that way, and and, and it's not just the rich, rich people that that get this affected. All of us have been affected because inflation is, uh, has been uh, ramping up a lot, and we've had some discussions about that. We'll have some more discussions about that in just a few weeks. Mark Elam is going to join me again from our investment strategy group in Atlanta to talk about the current market situation and, and what is going on, U.S., international, those kind of things. He, he's always a great guest. We'll have him back in just a few weeks um, but i if you if you missed it a few weeks ago had a question from linda we talked about uh, whether that was a good idea for her to withdraw some money from her ira to pay off her mortgage and we talked about interest rates and, and versus uh, how, you know, paying it off and, and all those kind of factors that you need to consider when you're thinking about using an ira or even really any funds but especially an ira was her question to take it out so if you missed that you can simply go to talkingmoneyradio.com. So just all one word, talkingmoneyradio.com. And listen to listen to episodes. You click on that, and then you can scroll back just a few weeks ago to find the one that we talked about, uh, her pulling those money out, and answers her questions. But some other questions that were coming down the pike from uh, Congress that on IRAs that we wanted to, to make sure you're aware of, I wanted to, I actually attended a, I say virtually attended a workshop that uh, Ed Slott taught a few weeks ago, and he's one of the gurus in the nation, a CPA that uh, does a lot with IRAs, a lot of educating financial advisors and the public about IRAs. He's quoted often in the Wall Street Journal and other places like that. So I wanted to make sure I was up to speed on some of the things. And I've got an article he wrote here that has a couple of interesting thoughts. We may get to at the end if we have time. But one of the things, one of the proposals that is currently being um, considered is is the backdoor Roth conversion and try to eliminate the backdoor Roth conversion. So get you back up and explain that a little bit. So it doesn't apply to most of you listening, but it does apply to some of you. So some of you that, that do not qualify for a retirement plan. So you're not in a retirement plan. You don't qualify for the retirement plan and you can't make uh, or, or you can't make new contributions. It's not necessarily that you don't qualify, but you don't, um, if from an income standpoint, you don't qualify to make an IRA contribution, a regular deductible IRA contribution, you or your spouse. So what you do is you make a non-deductible traditional IRA contribution and you have to have no other IRA uh, balances because it uh, the old cream of the coffee rule comes into play where you say, I can't just take out the one that I just put in this non-deductible traditional IRA and convert it to a Roth. But if you have no other IRAs or you've been doing this strategy for a while and it's been approved for a while by the IRS officially, unofficially for a while we've been doing it, but now officially for several years, you take it and you put it, put that, whatever your contribution is, six, $7,000, you put that into the IRA, put it in for you and your spouse, non-deductible. So no deduction. It's not a Roth IRA because your income is too high to qualify to put money into a Roth IRA. So this is a way to get additional retirement funds in the back door. That's why it's called the backdoor Roth conversion. So you put the money in to the non-deductible traditional IRA. You don't take a deduction for it. And within a month or two, whenever you get the account actually set up and and can uh, logistically do this, then you're going to transfer the money. You're going to do a Roth conversion. You're going to take the money from the non-traditional IRA and move it to a Roth. So now you got into the Roth, but you get it in a backdoor way it's not a ton of money, but it helps. If it's 14000 between the two of you, you and your spouse, you do that for several years, you can put a little tidy sum inside this Roth IRA by using this backdoor conversion. If you have other IRAs, then you've got to prorate it. So if you've got, if you're going to put $14,000 and you're going to put this in the non-traditional IRA, but you've got another $14,000 that's in a traditional IRA, and then you want to convert it, you actually have to convert part of both. So it's not all going to be just the IRA that you have. If you want to do all the $14,000, you are going to have to do all the 14000 of your traditional IRA. So, of course, that's all going to be taxable where converting the, the uh, non-deductible traditional IRA is not going to be taxable because it was non-deductible to, to begin with. It's all after-tax money. But your regular traditional IRA is not. And we've even had situations that uh, we had to caution a client who we talked about doing this strategy with a couple of years ago And then when we find out, well, he's going to retire before the end of the year and he's going to take out his 401k and put it into an IRA. Well, as soon as he decided to do that, then the old cream of the coffee rule comes back into play. So we can't do the backdoor Roth conversion because he's going to have money in an IRA that came from his 401k that's going to get in there by the end of the year. So it kind of messes that up. But there are a lot of strategies like that that we have that we try to use for clients. And it's, it's one of those things that, okay, well, you, you don't know what you don't know. So we we try to to oh, take care of that situation here on Talking Money by by sharing those things with you. Another proposed legislation is with the Roth conversion, uh, it uh, it looks like it's going to be available for most people. But if your income is over 400000 it's going to be limited, but it's not going to be limited for another 10 years, it looks like. So it's like, okay. They, it, it, to me, I don't understand why they wouldn't want anyone to do a Roth conversion because it's, it puts money in the IRS coffers and the treasury coffers now. So it doesn't matter to me if it's, it's over $400,000, it's, it's taxable. So bring it out and tax it. Who cares if it's another 10 years, it doesn't really matter, but that's something you need to be aware of. So if you're thinking about some of these things by the end of the year you think, okay, maybe I should go ahead and do a backdoor Roth now, if I qualify for that, because it's not going to be available next year, assuming that that part of the provision makes it and the whole tax bill passes, you know, who knows what what uh, is really going to happen? So we keep hearing things back and forth. You you hear it as well. You hear the news. You hear people talking about that's you know it's it's been delayed or they're fighting over this and discussing this and whatever they're doing. So it um, it is uh, always a little bit of a guessing game. So we get back to the break. We'll talk about some uh, some more. Potential tax uh, changes that are happening with capital gains and so forth. Also, some estate planning things with a step-up in basis. We'll explain what that is. Uh, higher long-term capital gains potentially and, and so forth. So we want to make sure that you understand all those things. We'll be right back after these messages. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust has distinct divisions that work with clients across the wealth spectrum. Private wealth, everyday steward, family office, and the professional athlete division. The company's largest division, Private Wealth, is designed to provide financial guidance for clients with an investable net worth of a million dollars or higher. Private Wealth advisors can provide advice in many areas, including managing cash flow, growing assets while decreasing debt, overseeing investment portfolios, developing tax-efficient estate and strategic giving plans, and utilizing trust services if needed, all with a big picture in view. The Private Wealth division has 16 offices across the United States including Greenville. For more information on Ronald Blue Trust offices and the advisors serving there, please visit ronblue.com. Ronald Blue Trust is a trademark used by Thrivent Trust Company and Thrivent Trust Company of Tennessee Incorporated, separate affiliated entities. Now back to talking money. <laughs> And we'll be coming up here about uh, almost 19 minutes past the hour. We are here on Talking Money. So glad you're with us today, talking about some of these strategies that you need to, to consider or at least hear about the things that Congress is thinking about changing as it relates to IRAs and to estate planning and taxes and all those kind of things. We talked about it a few weeks ago. If you missed that, uh, go to talkingmoneyradio.com and listen, click on the listen uh, now tab or listen tab and you'll go to the all the recordings that we have from different topics that we've had over the over the last several months and you can uh, one for just a few weeks ago where we started this conversation but we talked about just for the break talking about the backdoor roth conversion and explained that and then just roth conversions period and how they may be going away for people that uh the taxpayers over four hundred thousand dollars worth of income which i realized that uh, doesn't apply to most people But uh, you need to be aware of it, but the Roth conversions look like they're still going to be available as long as they're taxable, which is what they're trying to do with with any kind of Roth conversion. You're, You're taking money out of your traditional IRA and you're converting it. And we've had conversations about this before. You need to be really, really careful how much you do and how you do that. You need to make sure that you are aware of what your marginal tax bracket is so that when you're taking money out of the traditional IRA, you're not going to inadvertently put yourself in a higher tax bracket and therefore create more taxes than you would have if you just left it alone and didn't take the money out until you're required to take it out when you're 72. And that's the the new required minimum distribution beginning date is when you turn age 72. So at least it got away from the 70 and a half, which is still the age for qualified charitable distributions, but it's not for required minimum distributions, which would be at age 72, the year that you turn 72 same rule applies that you 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 um the year you turn 72 is when you have to take those uh, start taking those distributions you have until the next April 1st to take out your first year's distribution but if you wait and don't take out the first year's when you turn 72 you wait to your 73 then you have to take out two that year and where that works nicely is for clients who and listeners who have a job situation that's going to change. So you're still working at 71, let's say, and but you're going to stop at 872, so your income's going to drop. Or you have some other event happening in 70. When you're 71, you sell, sell a piece of property or you have some other kind of, of income event, liquidity event that creates a lot of taxes. So, well, I don't want to have to put my required minimum distribution on top of that. So you just wait until April first of the next year when you don't have that income and you take two out at the same time. Then after that, you have to start. You have to take uh, it out every year, and that table is going to change. So in 2022, next year, that there's new tables for the RMD rules. The required minimum distribution rules are going to change a little bit uh, next year. I haven't seen those tables. I'm not sure they even published them yet. Uh, I haven't seen them if they have. And so uh, that, keep that in mind that you'll start those distributions under new guidelines uh, beginning next year. Uh, something else on the Roth conversions that uh, happened, I think this was a year or two ago, that they took the recharacterization off the table. So it, in years past, you could make the decision to do a Roth conversion. So you took money out of your traditional IRA and, and maybe the stock market was high when you did that. Your account values were high when you did that. So you took it out, and of course that all is in uh, included in your on your tax return for that year for as taxable income. And then the market goes down, and so wow, if I could have taken it out when the market was down, then it wouldn't have hurt me so much. So people would put it back in. You could recharacterize it by the October of the next year, and then you'd be fine as if you had never done it. And then do it the next year when when things are down. So it's that's gone. So there's no. So we don't need to explain that, except that they can't be done anymore. The new, uh, the new rules say no recharacterizations allowed. And then uh, another thing is that's uh, on a, on a um, estate planning basis is the step-up in basis. So there was talk about the step-up in basis going away. And so you'd have carryover basis. A carryover basis means that like it, it would be similar to a gift. So if you make a gift to someone during your lifetime, So you have a a mutual fund that you paid $10,000 for and it's now worth uh, $15,000. And you wanna give that whole 15,000 because that's the gift limit, 15,000 per person per year. You wanna give that to one of your children. So you give that to them, $15,000. When they receive it as a gift, their basis is the same as yours. So you paid $10,000 for it, it's as if they paid $10,000 for it. So when they go to sell it, they will use that $10,000 on their tax return saying this is what I paid for it and whatever it's worth above that or it could be below that by then. But if it's assuming it's above that, then they'll pay tax on that as if they were you. Paid, except that they'll be doing it their own tax bracket. So it's it's likely that maybe you were in a 15 or 20% capital gain, long-term capital gain tax bracket, but your child could liquidate that fund and be in a zero long-term capital gain tax bracket because they're in the 15% or the 12% um, category, the marginal income, their marginal income tax bracket is 12%. So as long as they're in that 12% bracket and the proceeds, the sale of this other asset, the $15,000 keeps them inside that $81,050 for 2021 If it keeps on on taxable income, not total income, taxable income. So it's after your standard deductions and and so forth. Once you get that, and maybe they made IRA deductions, whatever. So it's the taxable income. As long as that's under that $81,050, then there'll be zero taxes on long-term capital gain. So it's a way for you to transfer money from yourself to your children and uh, maybe have total taxes lower because you would have had to pay 15 or 20 percent and they are paying zero percent capital gains taxes so it's a way to transfer those kinds of funds otherwise we just say we'll just give cash so that you're not uh, uh if you're same tax bracket you might as well just give cash unless you just you know don't like your kids and you want them to pay more taxes and give them the money let them pay the taxes because then it's still you know it's it's still free money to them if they got the gift and they're just paying taxes on it, so and that's okay too. So uh, the step-up in base, step-up in basis, changes that. So if you don't give it during your life, you give it at death, then that ten thousand dollars that you paid for that mutual fund, and it's worth fifteen thousand the day you died, and then you give it to your son, then the basis for your son is stepped up to the basis that it was when you passed on. So it's now at fifteen thousand dollars. So you can now pass on that those funds to through through your death. It's not it's not near as fun to do it that way, but you can fa- pass it on at your death and avoid all the income taxes. And this it doesn't have to be even five thousand dollars. That's that's why Congress has looked at it is that they say, wow, you know, these people that have ten million dollar estates that maybe has five million dollar of un uh, of um, appreciated assets in it. it's got five million dollars of unrealized gains sitting in there so we want we don't we want to capture that at their death but unfortunately a lot of times that that money that value is tied up in a small business it's tied up in a farm it's tied up in a lot of things like that that the person really can't just liquidate it and and pay taxes on that five million dollars because it's and they'd have to pay it really with phantom income so they if it's in a business and they now owe income taxes on five million dollars right away because you know they didn't sell it just because they were given it to them. It was given to them. Now you have this huge tax bill, but now they'd have to sell the business of some some other way of creating the cash to pay that tax. So that's where where it got sticky for Congress and saying how do we how do we increase our tax revenue, but not hurt the small business person. And certainly the Republicans are, seem to be more concerned about that uh, than the Democrats did. But it still it's um, it's it looks like it's going to be safe. It looks like they're leaving that off the table. Where the step up in basis it is not going to be enacted, they're not going to they're going to keep it as opposed to changing it to the carryover basis, which would be just. And that's not something just for rich people. That's for I mean, you see all sizes of estates, even somebody that's going to get hundred thousand dollars or five hundred thousand dollars. If this is all in, if it's if it's in a after tax account, and and we'll see people who have been with a company for years. And they may have bought that stock, that, that Bell South stock or that at t stock or whatever it was through an employee purchase plan. And they were buying 25 bucks a month, 50 bucks a month and did it for years. Well, you think about the, the complications and logistics of trying to figure out what the basis is for all those different stock purchases all the years anybody that did dollar cost averaging and you did any kind of purchases over time you got to keep tracking all that and you can use average cost basis and things but you still got to know what the basis is to get the average cost basis which um, can be very difficult so i think this is a if they keep that out of there it's a win-win for everybody whether it's whether it's a wealthy person or not so wealthy person just a hassle of death not having to worry about that that i get whatever the the real estate's worth, whatever the stock is worth, whatever it is, that's my basis. So when I turn around and sell that at some future point, I'm not going to have to pay a lot of income taxes. And of course, most people don't have to pay anything of state taxes either because the limits are so high, but that may be changing too. Now we're going to talk about that in a future Talking Money, but right now we're going to stick to some of the income tax provisions and so forth. Uh, And as I mentioned, the uh, long-term capital gains, they're talking about changing the maximum from 20 to 25%. So it doesn't appear that they've talked about changing the rates for those who are in the 12% bracket. So what I mentioned earlier about the 12% bracket and being able to sell a long-term capital gain, so something you held at least 12 months, you selling that the asset and in whatever portion keeps you in that 12% bracket is going to have a zero long-term capital gain, which also means that you need to be looking at, at, if you're in those brackets, you need to be looking at assets that you have that have those gains and potentially go ahead and sell them because you'll sell them. And if, if you can sell a piece at a time and still keep under that bracket, then you can rebuy the asset because you don't have to worry about the wash sale rules because you're you're taking a gain, not a loss. Then you rebuy the asset. And of course, then you have a step up in basis. All right, we got more to come here on Talking Money. We'll be back in a few minutes. Talking Money is brought to you by Ronald Blue Trust. With nationwide trust capabilities, Ronald Blue Trust provides wealth management strategies and trust services based on biblical principles to help clients make wise financial decisions, live generously, and leave a lasting legacy. With over $11 billion of assets under management and advisement and a network of 16 offices, including Greenville, Ronald Blue Trust serves over 10,000 clients in all 50 states through distinct divisions and offers services across the wealth spectrum in these key areas. Financial retirement estate planning, investment management and solutions, charitable giving strategies, personal trust and estate settlement, bill paying, family office services, business consulting, and institutional client services. More information about Ron Blue Trust can be found at ronblue.com. Ron Blue Trust is a trademark used by Thrivent Trust Company and Thrivent Trust Company of Tennessee, Incorporated, separate affiliated entities. Now back to talking money. We're ready for the second half of Talking Money. Time does fly when I'm in here live on the radio. It's just—it's uh, amazing how fast it goes, and it's amazing how slow it seems to take me to get through some of my topics. I'm always thinking of other things that, when you've been doing this for over 35 years, uh, things come to mind that you didn't think of when you were making your notes, and so you just uh, expound on them. So, which uh, hopefully it's interesting information that that everybody gets. But of course, if you didn't catch it all, you can always go to talkingmoneyradio.com and listen to these. the the, the Each week, get posted about uh wednesday or so the following week and then you can listen to him on anywhere you listen to podcasts if you listen on by podcast of course you send your questions to mike at talking money i talked to a lot of listeners on the phone during the week and met with a few this this past week with different situations that they had it's always uh, a joy for me to meet to meet listeners and uh, would welcome to to speak with you too if you think we might be a good fit the number for the office is 800-588-7526 800-588-7526 and love to speak with you just to talk about whether or not we might be able to help you if we might be a good fit for you Uh, because believe me we are as interested in finding out if you're a good fit as you are finding out if we're a good fit uh, for you so wrapping up the part about taxes and things that we were mentioning before the break on the individual income tax side most of you aren't going to be affected but for for higher income earners the actual rate is going to go up 37 to 39.6 I see is going to if it passes it's going to and where this I think it's a reminder for people for those who work in an uh, entity, a company that's an LLC or you're an S corporation, these are all flow-through corporations. So whatever your personal top tax rate is, that's the top, top tax rate that you're going to pay here, even though it's through your business because the business doesn't pay income tax. A, cor- a C corporation doesn't really either. They're going to pass it on to the to the um, customers in the form of higher prices, as most of you have seen the this past year. Uh, but the the uh, the rest of it, when you're talking about an S corporation, LLC, it all comes down. So, it, take a small business owner, and I fit this when when I was playing first. You you have a good year and you have some good profits, and you want to. Well, okay, I I don't have quite enough to hire a new person, but I, I definitely as we grow and we grew a lot, especially after 2010, and we continue to grow but you you want to have enough money set aside so in case there's a downturn in the market because you're fee only you're you're basing your your revenue on on what the client accounts are worth so if they go down we go right down with it and so you want to prepare for that to make sure you're still in business for your clients because they still need you especially in a downturn that they they need to know you're still there but if yeah if you don't um, spend the money, like, okay, if I make extra money and I go and hire somebody, that's a deductible expense. I can hire them, and and of course, that's uh, a business expense. But if I'm trying to save some up for a year or two about some other expansion things, expanding your building or expanding the number of staff you have, well, unfortunately, you had to pay the taxes at a higher rate that year, potentially, and I did, at a higher rate, even though I didn't spend the money. The money's right there, it's in the business, but I didn't spend it because I'm saving it for later. So the higher those taxes are, the slower it takes, the longer it takes for a small business owner to save enough money to decide to hire new people. So it does affect growth uh, directly that way. And a lot of people don't think of it uh, that way. And, and most of the companies that are out, the small companies that are out there are LLCs and S corporations. That's just what they are because that's the, the easiest way to get set up and it seems to make the most sense for them. You get the liability protection without having all the other rigmarole that you'd have with a C corporation. So yeah, people need to be careful about that. Uh, and then with the capital gains rate potentially going up from 20 to 25, well, that's only for those who have incomes over, it says, 450000 for married or 400000 for single. So singles didn't get didn't get much of a break there. <laughs> they didn't get half a cut in half like they normally do for a lot of these provisions in the tax law. And which still doesn't affect most people listening, except for the year. Let's say you had some family property that was in your name that it was handed down through the year, and you through the years, and you finally sell that property, and it sells for four hundred thousand or five hundred thousand. Well, guess what? You're you're now in that, even though it's just for one time, uh, that that five percent is going to make a big difference on your capital gain um, because every hundred thousand there is going to be an extra five thousand dollars, and uh, so who wants to pay that? And especially when it's just a one-time event, um, and people try to find ways to get around that, and you can do ten, thirty-one exchanges and these kind of things, but it's still, it's still got to be uh, that that ties it up for even longer. So eventually, you, you're going to have to pay the taxes on it. So be careful with that. And of course, corporations are going to—that's uh, a potentially higher tax rate. It's going to be phased in at different levels of that. But y'all, you know, and, and most of you have heard this before, but corporations don't pay taxes. If they're trying to get a certain rate of return for their shareholders, that that even though they can say, the government can say, Congress can say, well, it's just affecting corporations. It's not affecting you. No, it is. It's affecting you in the form of inflation because they're going to have to pass on as much as they can. They're going to pass that on to the consumer. And if all the corporations are having that same issue, then all their prices are going to go up. It's not like one of them can say, well, I'm not making as much money, so I don't have to have those rate increases. Well, they're probably all making that, that kind of money, so they're all going to be affected by that. So anyway, and there's a lot of other state tax provisions, as I said. Uh, we're going to talk about those in a, in a future Talking Money. And uh, Alan Cox is going to join me in a few weeks, uh, hopefully, to, to go through that in more detail and get some, some expert stuff, uh, expert information to you. The things that are going on in the estate planning area with trusts and so forth. All right, so there was a headline a few weeks ago. I got an email that said Social Security will go bankrupt in 12 years. Are you ready? Okay. Well, it's it's from a company selling gold, and and I you know I get what they're doing, um, but and I don't have anything about against gold. Uh, we have a lot of clients that own gold. Uh, we have some portfolios that include gold, typically gold stocks, or there is, is gold that represents the, that it's uh, stocks that represents the actual gold bullion. So it's not like we don't believe in gold, but we believe in a, in a way to make money on it, not just as a protection against things like this for social security and, and um, say, wow, you need to buy gold. Social security is going bankrupt so we need to buy gold well let's let's think through that a little bit so some good news from social security they announced this uh i think this is last week or so that there's a 5.9 percent increase uh, for 2022 so we haven't had big increases like this in social security for a long a long time that i can remember i don't when the last time they've had one that way and but you gotta remember that's because inflation's going up. So, all right, is it really going to benefit you? It's going up five point nine percent, but that's just trying to help you keep up with the cost of groceries and other things that are going up in price. So, it's not really going to benefit you anymore. It's trying. All this is trying to do is keep you on a level playing field that you're you're not going backwards with your standard of living. You're at least staying the same. And unfortunately, Medicare premiums also go up, and every year. And Medicare premiums have gone up a lot more than. The social security benefits have gone up, uh, but there's provisions in there that hold you harmless, so that you don't have to. You can be protected against that. For most people, I think 70% of the of the population or the of the people receiving social security are benefited from that hold harmless provision that says my net social security benefits can't be. So even if Medicare goes higher, then my social security increase is. That there's that whole harmless provision in there that that keeps you from going backwards, um, but there again, that keeps you from going backwards with just Medicare, but it doesn't with everything else that you're spending money on. Uh, but Medicare, you know, helps a lot of people uh, with their medical benefits, so it's it's a good benefit for a lot of people, even in spite of all the restrictions. And I think personally, the only reason Medicare can make it is because they're still half or so of the population that's covered by private insurance, the private insurance people pay a lot more because the cost shifting from the hospitals, from the Medicare patients to the private pay patients because the government controls it. So, if you control how much we're going to pay for different procedures, then you can only pay, you're going to do so much. But your doctors, your nurses, your building, everything costs so much. So, how do we make up the difference? Well, it's because we got private pay patients that make it so your private pay patients do pay more because Medicare does not. And that's where the problem comes in. If you try to say, we want to switch everybody to Medicare, well, that's not going to work because that's when you get back to socialized medicine and you say, okay, no, everybody's going to be subject to whatever the restrictions the government has on there. And then if you start restricting how much the doctors get and how much the nurses get, how much the, uh, how much they can spend on, uh, medical procedures, how much they can pay for new equipment. How do you, how do you pay for all the new and, and nifty bells and whistles with the, all these different equipment they have? Cause it's expensive to do the research on those things and people aren't going to do it if they can't get paid for it. Anyway, that's a, that's a different, um, uh, horse that we're not gonna we're gonna ride some other time but anyway so the um the the headline that says social security will go bankrupt in in 12 years are you ready all right so is it misleading um is it accurate well, uh, yes, but is it misleading? Uh, yes, too. So we're going to spend the rest of the, of the time in the, in the last uh, section of Talking Money uh, going through some of the what's going on with Social Security. How long is this supposed to last? What's that mean to you as a person getting Social Security? And also, what does it mean to you who are thinking about when to start Social Security? Would that have an impact on your thought process? We'll be back for the last segment of Talking Money in just a couple minutes. Ronald Blue Trust is pleased to sponsor Talking Money. Ronald Blue Trust has distinct divisions that work with clients across the wealth spectrum, private wealth, everyday steward, family office, and the professional athlete division. The company's largest division, private wealth, is designed to provide financial guidance for clients with an investable net worth of a million dollars or higher. Private wealth advisors can provide advice in many areas, including managing cash flow, growing assets while decreasing debt, overseeing investment portfolios, developing tax-efficient estate and strategic giving plans, and utilizing trust services if needed, all with a big picture in view. The Private Wealth Division has 16 offices across the United States, including Greenville. For more information on Ronald Blue Trust offices and the advisors serving there, please visit ronblue.com. Ronald Blue Trust is a trademark used by Thrivent Trust Company and Thrivent Trust Company of Tennessee Incorporated, separate affiliated entities. Now back to talking money. And welcome back to the last roughly 11 minutes here of Talking Money. This is a Certified Financial Planner Professional Mike Miller, your host for today. So glad you're with us. Uh, if you got a question for me that you want to ask off the air or if you're curious about whether or not uh, my team can be of, of assistance to you, 800-588-7526 is our toll-free number at the office. And also TalkingMoneyRadio.com. You can send me an email at Mike at TalkingMoneyRadio.com and I'll get that and can respond to you. We can figure out a time to at least speak on the phone. And then we'll go from there. So talking about Social Security, big question. Social Security will go bankrupt in 12 years. Are you ready? That was the headline on the email I got from a company that's trying to sell gold. Well, the actual press release that came out August 31st from Social Security, and I'm on their list to get any press releases they send out. It says, uh, uh, the headline says, Social Security Board of Trustees combined trust funds projected depletion one year sooner than last year. So it says the combined asset reserves of the old age and survivor's insurance and disability insurance trust funds are projected to become depleted in 2034, one year earlier than projected last year, with 78% of benefits payable at that time. And that's the part that some of these headlines leave out. All right. Now, that's not fun to get a 22% haircut on your Social Security benefit. But it's not like, okay, it's all going to go away. That'd be devastating for a lot of people to lose that 22%. But there, the way Social Security is set up, the money that current beneficiaries are getting paid is coming from the the trust fund, is, uh, supposedly, but also it's coming from current workers. So all the money that current workers are paying into the system is essentially going right back out to for beneficiaries. And that's why there's no big, uh, big amount that's uh, set aside each year to you know, your money as a 25 year old is not being set aside for you and invested for you so that when you reach age 65, 67, 70, whatever age you begin Social Security, it's there for you to take out. That's not, it's never been set up that way. It's never been intended, which is probably a good thing. If you think about it, if the Social Security Administration was taking all that money, and they're investing it in the U.S. stock market, let's say, how many companies would they own? With the amount of money that would be set aside in that trust fund, and, and they would be, or else they're putting it all in just treasuries, which means they're not making any money, but if they were actually investing that money for you, which is what a lot of people have suggested that they privatize that, uh, which long-term I think would be a, a great idea. That We wouldn't even have be having the problems we have right now. Uh, same with any individual who gets so conservative on their investments, that eventually, over time, that hidden hidden risk of inflation and uh, and the, the cost of living going up starts to eat away, and you don't even see it. It's uh, so it's it's a bigger risk, I think, than the risk of volatility that if your investment's going up and down. So the trust fund is projected to become depleted in two thousand thirty three, which is one year sooner than it was before. It was 2030, Oh, well, it says thirty four. I think they they changed that. Because it should have been 2035, now it's 2034. But so it's um, oh, that's the trust. That's a different trust fund. Okay. So anyway, it's it's going to go down and and potentially. But but what you have to think through is what Congress, the history of Congress, and in these kind of situations, is if they can spend two trillion dollars or three trillion dollars on a what they call infrastructure, and now many media outlets are appropriately calling a a social um, benefit uh, payment, that uh, they certainly would would um, put in extra funds to make sure that everybody got 100% of their money from Social Security, you would think. Um, but, you know, who knows? And, and it can affect uh, people's decisions on how they do certain things. So last year, this report from the Social Security said um, the asset reserves of the uh, OSHA and DI trust funds increased by 11 billion in 2020 to a total of 2.908 trillion. Of course, this is all loans that the government uses um, to to live on each day, but they but they still have to pay that back. Uh, the total, and then as as the funds don't come in each year, they can whittle down at that at that uh, trust fund. So the total annual cost of the program is projected to exceed total annual income for the first time since 1982 in 2021, it remained higher throughout the 75-year projection period. So with fewer people working this year, you had fewer people paying into social security systems. So now's when the the cost is projected to exceed income. And that's when they start eating at the trust funds. And so uh, asset reserves are expected to decline during 2021. And then, uh, let's see. Yeah. And then they say later on in the in the press release, Social Security paid benefits of 1.096 trillion in calendar year 2020. There were about 65 million beneficiaries at the end of the calendar year. And they think about all this money the government's trying to spend now. That's that's over this two trillion stuff. This is not the budget. This is this is money in addition to the spending on the budget. What they can do with that kind of money, and when you. you know, elect your officials. I think in South Carolina, we've done a good job for the most part, uh, electing good officials that that um, make sense when they vote. But there's, of course, a whole lot of people, usually up the Northeast that, or Northwest, that don't vote like we would like them to vote. And there's nothing we can do about them, except for we you know we can always give money to people who are running against them out there. Which the, I just caution you about being um, shocked or scared when you hear these things and say, okay, now we want to buy gold. It says, um, they say that the numerous financial problems have required many fixes. Social security has increased continuously over the past decades while benefits have been decreased. Uh, Social security taxes have increased, benefits have decreased, uh, limits on how long they can do that. Um, Then they say social security trust funds being drawn down. We mentioned that. And then they say current estimates uh, 76, and they said 78 in in the press release. So who will be affected? So they say, but if you're nearing retirement or already retired in, in the 55 to 65 age group, you're likely going to feel the impact in a big way, particularly if you planned on depending on Social Security income for a large portion of your retirement income. So basically what they're saying is that buy gold because that's going to help you keep up with the increases that you need and it's going to keep you up more than some of the kind of investment. So they say... Um, it's, it's, guaranteed, it's all but guaranteed Social Security decline over time, which isn't exactly what you want to see when you're no longer bringing in a salary. In contrast, gold and silver offer the potential for asset growth in the future. The long-term price growth has been on par with stock markets, while over the past 20 years they have exceeded the performance of stock markets. So this is one of those reminders for me to remind you that you got to be careful when you're looking at past performance, whether it's a mutual fund, whether it's a gold company, whether whomever it is, uh, real estate. Sometimes we see that too. This is how much we've done over the last 20 years, 10 years. You got to be careful looking at those past track records because the likelihood is they're probably not going to continue and you, and you don't want to be sold on it just because of what they've done in the past. Cause if you look back at 30 years, there's no, there's no comparison. Uh, it's not even a contest that the stock market did so much better than gold, uh, twice, over twice what it did. In 20 years, it didn't. It did a, uh, almost twice what uh, the Dow Jones did. But that's that's picking time periods that suit your fancy. So why didn't they say, well, on 30 years, that has been on part wealth because it hasn't. So they picked 20 years. So the, the point is, all these investments, whether it's stocks, whether it's gold, don't look at these, don't listen to these ads that say, that that gold is going to give you safety that you don't get from stock markets. Well, it's not. It goes up and down, just like the stocks, and 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 sometimes more so. Uh, I've seen plenty of times over my career where we've seen so, uh, that gold went down, stayed down for years. Then then you'll have a catastrophe or something else. Something else happens in the world that makes people want to buy gold for the safety of it. But I I would ask you to think through what. What your um, ultimate use of that money is—that gold. So, what are you going to do with the gold when, if, if things are, if, if the U.S. economy goes to pot? Well, I—you I, going to take it to to Publix and say, "Okay, I'm going to turn this gold and, and exchange it for groceries." I, logistically, I think it's just a just a hard thing hard thing to do so i i think uh, just be careful i've said this many times somewhat facetiously but i you know it's not really if you really want to protect yourself against a, a downturn in a, a big way that something is uh, going to affect the economy in that way i'm telling you you need to have uh, a farm you need to have uh, raise your own uh, meat you're going to raise your own chickens you're going to raise you know, you're going to have your own big garden but then you better also have a big fence around there, uh, and maybe a big gun, because you're are all of your all of your um, uh, uh, neighbors are going to want to come get you too, because they want to get your stuff that you prepared for. So it's it's one of those things that it's just very hard to try to predict what to do. But I think one of the best things to do is boy, just pay off your debt, get yourself into a situation where you can be very flexible on your uh, on your cost of living, and that would help you over over time. So. Just be careful. They talk about rolling it over into retirement accounts, into precious metals and so forth. And I'm not saying don't do any of it in that, but just don't get caught up in in what uh, all these companies try to say about buying gold because it's it's got protections built into it because it just does not have the protections built into it that you think. And there's also a new study put out by the Research Center for Retirement Research at Boston College, which we don't have time to go into today. They talked about uh, using several different headlines – And how did people react to those headlines to determine when they were going to accept or start their social security? That was very interesting. And one of them that just said, if you just say it's going to go away, people were likely to go ahead and start. If you said, well, it's going to go down to 75%, well, they weren't as likely to do that. So it's um, how it's said, how the questions are are, uh, written and uh, presented to people. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for Talking Money today. So glad you're with us today. If you've got a question for me, 800-588-7526 is the number at the office or send me an email at mike at talkingmoneyradio.com. Glad you're with us today. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week for the next Talking Money.